whether in mid-sea or among the breakers of the farther shore, a wreck must mark at last the end of each and all. What tragic words. They were spoken by Robert Ingersoll at the graveside of his brother. Is this why it is that stories of shipwreck have a strange fascination for us all? Do we see in them a hint of our own destiny, fulfilling the words of Ingersoll that whether in mid-sea or among the breakers of the farther shore, a wreck must mark at last the end of each and all? Today I would look at a story of shipwreck with you, the best of all such stories. It's found in Scripture, in Acts, the 27th chapter. It's a story that's notable for many things. Here, for example, we have the record of what was probably the best sermon Paul ever preached. All the best sermons were given outside of churches, and so was this. It only took one minute, and that would recommend it immediately to almost everybody. What was it that made this sermon of Paul so great? Well, let me read you the sermon first. Acts chapter 27, and beginning at verse 21. Remember, it's a sermon given in the middle of a storm on the verge of shipwreck. As they had been long without food, Paul then came forward among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and should not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. But I now bid you take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong, and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And lo, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Well, there was the sermon. Now consider the occasion. A stormy sea, a drifting wreck, a starless sky, a rocky coast, a despairing crew, but one man with face aflame with hope and courage. He stood out like a beacon, and that's what made the sermon. Sometimes as I teach or preach the rich themes of Scripture, my heart says to me, But your life is not as good as these words of yours. You failed your Lord so often. And that's true. But here was a man whose life did match his sermon. This was Paul's fourth shipwreck. Has he lost courage? Not at all. Why not? He told us. Sirs, I believe God. Let's look at the setting of Paul's sermon. Every ancient story ever written about the Mediterranean Sea from the time of Homer's Odyssey tells of storm and usually of shipwreck. That's true of even the Old Testament story of Jonah. So this one in Acts 27 is true to form. It's a voyage on the Mediterranean and it's a voyage that ends in shipwreck. My friend, we have here an illustration of the soul's voyage through life. A picture of your experience and mine. The story is not only exciting, but it's personal and intimate because it does symbolise 
our own experience. Everybody's life. Let's take a few extracts and notice it. Verse 2 of Acts 27 says that they launched. Embarking in a ship, they launched. Well, it was compulsory for Paul because he was a prisoner. But it's just as compulsory for you and me. We may cry out, stop the world, I want to get off. But none of us could stop getting in. We were launched into life without asking for it. It was compulsory. Perhaps that's why it's so foolish for people to cry, I will have freedom, I will do what I like. We weren't free to choose our launching into life. We weren't free to choose the ship, the geographical site or the circumstances. The body we inherited, the parents we inherited, the place where we were born. Whether our family was poor or rich, talented or dull. You know, my friend, that heredity and environment determines most of ability and temperament. We were launched into these things. I'm not preaching determinism. We've only told part of the story. But let's keep on this path. There are only a few careers that are open to you and to me, and of those few, we must choose one. I cannot say I would like to be this or I would like to be that, I don't have the talents for most of those positions. So there are only a few careers open. Marriage? We can't marry anyone we like. Open a magazine and say, I'll have him or I'll have her. There are only a few of the opposite sex that would ever marry us. How free are we? Free? Free to do what we like? There is such a thing as the law. There is such a thing as needing enough money to go round. And then there are other people. It's often been said, the liberty of my fist ceases where the nose of another person begins. How free are we? We're free in lesser things. What breakfast cereal we have of a morning, whether we wear this tie or that suit or these shoes. We have a freedom to go down, for we are self-centred. Our freedoms are not perhaps what we originally thought. We've been launched, and we've been launched in a certain way. Let's look at verse 4. And putting to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. Ah, there's something we can always count on in the voyage of life, trouble. That our desires should always be in tune with everybody else's, and with the physical factors of life, is just not possible. That's why there's trouble. Psychologists say that all of us desire at least four things. Life, significance, love, variety. But none of us can have all four all the time. And therefore there's frustration. And whether we become neurotic or just nasty rather than saintly depends on our powers of adjustment. It says in verse 8, they came to a place called Fair Havens. But then it tells us in verses 9 and onwards that they didn't stay there. Nobody can stay in Fair Havens. It's never all summer or all spring. Of course, on the other hand, it's never all winter or all autumn. Life is continually changing. 
blacks and whites, evenings and mornings, sunshine and shower, pain and pleasure, gain and loss, health and sickness, all our life is stamped with change. And we do become neurotics or nasty unless we can handle change and disappointment and trouble. Look at any 25 children. Let their lives pass till they reach maturity. And then two will end up in hospitals for the insane. Four out of the 25 will be profoundly neurotic. Four just deeply neurotic. Four mildly neurotic. You get it, friends? Half, almost, of any 25 turn out to be somewhat neurotic. Eight to ten are fairly normal. Everything depends on what we do when the winds are contrary, when the winds are against us, when we leave fair havens and go out into storm. Everything happens on what we do then. Let me read to you verses 10 to 13. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the captain and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbour was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to put to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbour of Crete, looking northeast and southeast and winter there. And when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven. Well, there's the beginning of the storm, and no one can escape that storm. And when they were there, they had to make decisions. It says in verse 13, they supposed that they had obtained their purpose when the south wind blew gently. We make choices too. And there are times when we suppose that everything's all right, when actually we're heading into a storm. And everything depends, my friend, not upon the facts of the storm, but how we interpret those facts. What I am determines all else. What I believe makes me what I am. And what I am determines what I choose. There's no dodging religion. There's no dodging worship and there's no dodging sacrifice. Everybody worships something, either themselves or money or pleasure or reputation. We are all worshippers. We are all religionists, whether we admit it or not. And we all sacrifice. We either sacrifice the better for the worse or the worse for the better. It tells us in this story that they threw out many of the things on the ship the cargo, and then the tackle of the ship. They sacrifice those things rather than lose life. There's no dodging sacrifice. All must sacrifice. The lesser for the better, or the better for the lesser. You notice in verse 13 that for a while they thought they'd obtained their purpose. Trouble is not immediate with each choice. But the harvest ultimately comes. 
The mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceeding fine. A false belief can bring ease for a time, but then trouble comes. You see, these people were believers. They believed anyone but the man of God. It says the centurion believed the captain and the owner of the ship more than what Paul had said. That's the first time we have belief referred to in the story of shipwreck. And because these men believed the wrong thing, or rather the wrong person, they hazarded their lives and all their property. Loss came to them because of a wrong belief. That's why I want to say it again. It's not the facts so much, but how we interpret the facts. And how we believe determines how we interpret the facts. It's important to believe a right, to believe the right person. Will we believe God or our own human hearts, which have let us down so often? In verse 18 it says, As we were violently storm-tossed, they began next day to throw the cargo overboard. Things were going from bad to worse. Verse 20 says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many a day, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All hope was taken away. Now only God can help us. We usually use God as a life belt, a last resort. That's why our lives are so filled with fears. We do not practice the presence of God, a very present help in trouble. Though the earth be carried away into the midst of the sea, God is there, and therefore will we not fear. The experienced sailor said there's no hope. The soldier said there's no hope. They were going to kill the prisoners. The circumstances indicated no hope. The jagged lightning seemed to spell out the words in the black sky. No hope. The howling wind added its voice to the wailing chorus. No hope. The flapping sails, the plunging waves, the creaking ship, the crackling masts, all seemed to echo the fatal cry. No hope. Reason argued like this. The storm is too great. The ship is too small. The load is too heavy. The distance is too great. There's no hope. Have you ever been at the place of no hope, my friend? You'll never know the greatness of God until you stand there. Every crisis is an opportunity. Maybe you are at the place of no hope. If so, take courage. Nightmares never last, and there is a way out. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you cannot tunnel through? God specialises in things thought impossible. He can do what no other one can do. Now look again at verse 21 onwards. As they had been long without food, Paul then came forward among them. And please note the climax of what he told them. This night there stood by me the angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and lo, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, 
for I believe God, it will be exactly as I've been told. So here's the second place in the story of shipwreck where you find the word believe. Back there in verse 11, they believe the wrong people and the wrong things. But now we have a man who in the midst of a shipwreck says, I believe God. He didn't believe the experienced sailors or the soldiers, or the circumstances, or the lightning, or the wind, or the waves, or his own heart. He believed God. What about you? If God were to say to me, son, you can have one wish. You know what I would wish? I would wish that God would grant me that I would never again doubt him. Often when I've been in some predicament or mess, I've said, now if God fixes this up, I'll never doubt him again. And neither did I doubt him again until the next trouble. And then I said the same thing. And so it goes on. That's how stupid we are. Yes, the one important thing of life is to believe God. Faith is the key to all other good things. Faith leads to obedience and to all the virtues, hope and love. And if we had these, my friends, all would always go right, whether seen to be so or not. If we had these blessings, we'd recognise and deny temptation. If we believe God. If we believe that all things work together for good to them that love God, even death. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Neither principalities or powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Neither death, nor life, nor any other thing can separate us from the love of God, which is shown in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are to believe God in all things. Christianity is a science of life. Did you notice Paul could say about God, whose I am and whose I serve? A true Christian belongs to God and seeks to please him in all things. He wants to know God's will about every detail of life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Paul could have confidence because he'd given himself to God. Whoever consecrates body and mind and spirit to God will experience constant renewal of strength, physical, mental, spiritual. But we must consecrate all we have to him. Paul said, whose I am and whose I serve, we should obey God in all our habits of life. It's folly to be ignorant of how to live. A physician outside a very packed waiting room said to a friend, half of the people in this waiting room could go home if they'd only eat and sleep aright. He could have said, three quarters of them could go home if he'd added exercise and said if they'd only eat and sleep and exercise aright. Or he could have said, Nine-tenths of these people could go home if they would only eat and sleep and exercise and think aright. God has told us about our physical habits and our mental habits. The Bible's full of guidance in these things. A true Christian is temperate, but he's energetic and he's trustful. He or she. The world is run on fixed laws, my friends. We don't break the laws, they break us. Less than one-tenth of disease is organic. Nine-tenths of apparent illness is functional. 
the upset of healthy tissue through folly habits. We don't believe God. The universe is run by law, my friend. We'd better believe it. Ignorance in these matters is sin. We should read the best authors on these things. And the health should be as sacredly guarded as a character. So violation of the laws of life, forgetting that we belong to God, that's one cause of storms. Another cause is our wrong relationship with people. We haven't believed God enough about that either. God says, he that despises his neighbour sinneth. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Love thinketh no evil, speaketh no evil. You know, Christ saw men as they might be, transfigured by his grace. That's how we should deal with other people. See them as they might be. Yet another cause of storms is fear. Fear sends storm after storm. That's why there are 365 fear knots in Scripture, one for every day of the year, as we've said before. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ said that worry was unnecessary, it was useless, foolish, heathenish, and he gave us three rules. He said, remember, your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. That was rule number one, God knows. Rule number two, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And rule three, leave tomorrow's evil till tomorrow to be concerned about it. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let's be glad and rejoice in it. Yesterday is dead. Tomorrow is not yet born. Many people worry about the sorrow they'll never live to see. So we can avoid storms if we believe God about the habits of life about our relationships with people, about fear and worry and anxiety. Let's believe God. I wish I could paint Acts 27 on canvas, the ship tossing on the crest of the waves like an eggshell, waves plunging over the deck, Paul clinging to the rigging of the ship, drenched with angry water, splashed by hungry waves. Ocean spray must have stung his weathered face, but he lifted his head in victory as he shouted above the roar of the storm, I believe God. I believe God. Man was helpless in the face of that storm, but God had made a promise to Paul and Paul believed him. Paul had a choice, to fear the storm or to believe God. That's your choice, my friend. That's mine. Will we believe the storm when it comes or believe God? It pays to believe God. Not just for ourselves, but for others. On that ship were 276 other people and they were saved because Paul was there. The sailors in this ship had trusted their ability. The soldiers had trusted the sailors. The captain had trusted the pilot. And the pilot had trusted his compass. They all trusted the ship. The ship trusted the anchor, but the anchor failed. But Paul trusted God. And God never fails. It's easy to believe when the waters are smooth. But it takes real faith to trust when the storm comes. Believe God. Belong to him. Serve him. Then you can sing. Not a single shaft can hit unless the God of love sees fit. There are conditions. You'll notice that Paul told them certain things they must do in verse 31. Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. We've seen that Paul could say that he could believe in God because he belonged to God and obeyed God. There are conditions, my friends. 
but they're all for our sakes. Let me read you now the close of the story. I'm reading verses 43 and 44. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their purpose. He ordered those who could swim to throw themselves overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all escaped to land. Now please observe that right to the end there was trouble. There'll never be a time in life when the shadow of Satan is not cast athwart our pathway. There was once a certain rich fool who said, Eat, drink and be merry. For soul, you have goods laid up for many years. But God said to him that night, Thou fool. To expect many years of ease is to be a fool. There'll never be a time when there aren't shadows. But please remember, wherever there are shadows, there is light, there is a sun. Wherever there are shadows, there is God. Be of good cheer. Trouble never ceases, its shape only changes. But friend, here is the punchline. You can choose to believe your feelings, your circumstances, the devil, your own foolish heart, or the living God. God help you to believe him. And if so, you'll survive every shipwreck. God bless you, friend.